Welcome to Kindled Podcast. I'm your host, Haley Williams, and this is the show where we talk about work, motherhood, and the grace we need for both. We are making and being made. Come join us. Well, hey guys, it is your host, Haley Williams. You're listening to episode 68 of Kindled. And today I am so excited that I get to share a conversation with you that I had recently with Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker of the Just Thinking podcast. If you guys follow me on Instagram uh, at HaleyWilliams.Kindled, you have seen me talk about this before, talk about their show. It is my favorite podcast that is out there, really literally of all of them. And these two guys are, uh, well, what they do on their show is they apply biblical truth to cultural and social and societal issues. And so they, they really look at everything that they cover on their show through a biblical worldview. So when I decided that this was actually a topic that I believe is necessary for uh, the Kindled audience to engage in a conversation on, I couldn't think of anybody better than Daryl and Virgil to have this conversation with us because I knew and trusted that they would address it from a biblical worldview above all else. So that's exactly what they did. And I'm really excited to share it with you guys. Okay. So today on Kindled, I am chatting with Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker. They host a show called the Just Thinking Broadcast. And if you guys have been following me for any amount of time, you know that I love this show. I've actually said it's my favorite podcast and I've shared it with you guys on Instagram. Uh, A lot of you have become listeners of this show. So I feel honored and blessed to be able to chat with these two guys today. Daryl and Virgil, welcome to Kindled. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yes. So I'm excited to chat with you guys today. I was telling you before we recorded here that I first found your guys' show through Allie Stuckey, as I'm sure a lot of people like me (laughs) did. And I heard you, uh, Daryl, on her show talk about wokeness in the church which was like a, a new term for me at the time that I heard the episode. It was just, I was just starting to become familiar with that term, but also wondering what in the world does that actually mean? And you did a great job of explaining that. So first off, if my listeners have not heard that episode, I encourage them to go check it out because it ties in a lot with what we're going to talk about today, which is the issue of social justice. So before we jump in, I just want to give a little bit of context to listeners who might be wondering what are we what are we talking about here today and what exactly is the stance that's being taken? First off, you know that Kindled is all about speaking the truth in love and you know that we as women are in the world. We are not simply cocooned in our homes. We are in relationships. We should be in relationships with our neighbors. You know, we're in small groups at church. We are a lot of you and and I are running businesses and interfacing with people all the time. And so for all those reasons and so many more, I think it's really important that we know what's happening in culture. We have a pulse on what is being touted as truth, not only so that we can protect and guard our own hearts, but so that we can have an answer for what we believe and have an answer to defend the truth and the truth of the word of God. So when I realized that this issue was something that I wanted to talk about, there was just nobody else that came to mind to do this issue justice than Daryl and Virgil. So um, Mm -hmm. I'm excited to get into this with you guys. But before we do, I'm sorry for the monologue. I want to give a little bit of context to why we're talking about this. My listeners probably saw, if you follow me on Instagram, you probably saw that I went to Sparrow back in March, the Sparrow Conference. And it, it was my first introduction really to some of the issues that fall under the umbrella of social justice. And it was my first introduction to dealing with those issues in any sort of a formal way or or hearing what perspectives were being kind of put out there. And so it was really a little bit unexpected for me. And I found myself after the conference kind of reeling from some of the things that I heard that I knew weren't true. There was a lot that was said that was good and was was gospel-centered. There was a lot of speakers that really brought it back to the word of God, but then there was some that didn't. And so for me, that kind of set me on this trajectory of pursuing what the Bible actually says about these issues of racism and power systems and all the things that are kind of being talked about in this realm. And so what really tipped me over the edge here was when I commented on a post from Sparrow actually um, affirming a decision they had made about some of the content that was removed, I got just 
skewered in the comments and mm. uh and like lambasted and i was blown away i mean I, I, that was when my first introduction to a lot of these terms. So I, I was called, you know, that I had white fragility, that I was gaslighting. I heard whiteness and I needed to divest of my whiteness. I heard that I was powder, part of the power system. And so I was blind and I heard all these things. And I was just like, I, wow, this is so much, this is so much more real than I realized. And I really wanted to, you know, gather my own understanding and, and seek the truth of the Bible and what does the Bible actually say to these things? Because, you know, there's a lot of opinions floating around. So that is why you guys are here <laughs> to talk about social uh, social justice and that issue. Yeah. Well, that's great. I, I, let me add one thing to what you said and, and, uh, and we'll, we'll open it up. And that is one of the things that as I do, I, I'm involved in uh, discipleship. I'm a discipleship pastor at my local church. One of the things that I tell women all the time is how important it is for them to be steeped in theology, for them to have a really good acumen around things that may stereotypically be something that is often thought of as a, that's a man's thing, you know, apologetics, that's a man's thing, or or systematic theology, that's for the guys. No, all that stuff is for women. And one of the reasons why it's important for them to know are for the very reasons that you articulated, which is women are the one who are the, the homemakers who are going to have play dates. There's a, you, you all could have a play date with another sister in the Lord with, with, their, with their kids. And that one meeting at a McDonald's turns into a counseling session, yes. right? Where you're, where you're having conversations around all kinds of issues related to the word of God. And so I, I tell women all the time, it's important for them to have right theology, right biblical theology, because you're going to be in probably more environments one-on-one with other women, uh, with friends of yours, with other girlfriends that are going to lend themselves to you sharing the truth. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's important to have right theology. And so again, Daryl Daryl mentioned it at the top. It's a it's an important issue. It's an issue that we need to know what we believe and why we believe it, and be able to defend the faith. So yes, yeah, I think Virgil makes a great point, Kaylee. You know, we were talking earlier about First Peter three fifteen, and in that context, in the context of that admonition that Peter gives in that verse, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone. This issue of social justice is in, sort of inculcated into that admonition from Peter, because I think some people may look at apologetics and frame it only within the context of theological, ecclesiological issues, things that happen within the church, things that are said by pastors or theologians. But no, this goes for every Christian. There is no mm-hmm compartmentalization, as as Virgil was alluding to, this issue involves women as well, and especially with respect to women who are mothers. Because when you look at this issue of social justice in its broader scope, from its broader landscape, there's an agenda tied to this that is targeting your children. Mm -hmm. It's targeting your children and your grandchildren. So mm-hmm. from what Virgil said earlier with respect to especially mothers, mothers need to be astute on what mm-hmm. this issue is, what it involves, what is the agenda that it is promoting and propagating, and then be able to, as Christian women, as Christian mothers, filter those various layers and components through what the Word of God says. Mm-hmm. That's so good and so true that we don't get an out. And I think some of us are, are more prone to enter into that battle than others. We, we're excited for a fight or for me, I, I tend to kind of confront these things head on and I'm like, okay, let's, let's go. I can prove, you know, I want to, I want to like throw my Christian worldview at you. And that, you know, I think it's, it's important to mention as we get into it, this is not so that you can become the most divisive mom at the play group that, you know, next Wednesday. But, <laughs> So that, like you said, the first Peter through 15s, you can give an answer for what you believe. Mm-hmm. And there mm-hmm. is so much content and so much media right now being aimed and targeted and produced and just pushed at women that would tell them another better hope is available. And it's and it, there's so many lies just being manufactured, really. And I see a lot of people, a lot of my friends, a lot of, you know, the people just even in within my small community on Instagram or on Facebook or even in my church, you know, to be honest, that are so easily swayed by some of these things and they sound attractive, they sound good. And so I'm excited to 
kind of pull the wool back a little bit today. So as we get in, could you, could one of you kind of help us understand what social justice actually means as we hear it today in culture? I think what we need to first understand is that social justice is not biblical justice. There is a distinct difference between the two. There's a distinct difference between social justice and biblical justice. Now, simply put, I would say that social justice, at least as the term is currently employed in today's culture, social justice can be defined in terms of care and concern for the poor and oppressed, and that society collectively right, should be doing what it can to alleviate or eliminate that suffering from society. And toward that end, social justice, and when I, when I use the term social justice, go ahead and assume air quotes. Mm-hmm. Toward that end, social justice advocates a sort of commingling of resources from the church, government, private entities and institutions to eliminate that kind of suffering that exists in the world. Now, that social justice, and all that may sound good on the surface, but social justice is inherently prejudicial because it seeks justice only for certain groups of people. So, for example, Blacks, LGBTQ, you'll hear that those groups are marginalized, that they're being treated unfairly. Social justice, by definition, categorizes people into groups. It does not treat them as individuals. And they seek justice or what they would call justice at the expense of others. Now, any sort of justice that comes at the expense of justice for anyone else, that's not justice. Mm. I mean, how can anyone say that it is justice to fight against injustice using partiality as the solution? (laughs) That's inherently wrong. That's inherently unfair. That in itself is injustice. So What your listeners need to understand first and foremost is that there is a distinct difference between social justice and biblical justice. There are are two different categories, and they couldn't be further in their definition or application. Yeah, that's good. I love how you just made that distinction, Daryl, that social justice isn't biblical justice and that it's Mm. actually something the world offers us as an extra biblical solution to injustice. And so mm-hmm. what is actual biblical justice and, and who is responsible for its execution and implementation? I jump in here on a couple of things that, that were said with regard to, to the piece on social justice. And man, Daryl does such a great job of explaining the distinctions between the two. I, I'd add in one other thing about that and open for, for our conversation. And that is I, when I when I think about Biblical justice and the contradiction that social justice is. I would look. I would look at even Genesis three as an attempt at social justice. Right? We had the serpent in Genesis three trying to adjudicate a perceived inequity between God and man. Right? The serpent is there in, in Genesis three. He posits to Eve the idea that she could change her status as an image bearer of God, which was deemed to be insufficient, and that she could seek equality with God, knowing good and evil. And social justice is that is that adjudication of Eve's perceived inequality in the status as a human being. And in the same way, we, we have a, we have those that kind of a definition of, of social justice. It's everything anti-biblical. It's everything not in line with the manner in which God would have justice take place. It's the, it's man's attempt at trying to make right a perceived injustice. It's a man-made process. And I I completely agree with Daryl that biblical justice, I think it begins with understanding at least a couple of things. The first is that we, we need to understand God's attribute of holiness. And I think secondly, we need to understand the attribute of God's sovereignty. We understand the holiness of God, and we understand that fallen humanity can never be just in the eyes of God. Uh, we, we can look at that truth in texts like Romans 1, 18 through 32, or Ephesians 2, 1 and 3, and, and, and understand that the wrath of God abides on us because of our unrighteousness. When we know that, understand that, understand God's sovereignty, we can begin to really understand and experience what justice looks like, what God's exacting of his justice looks like on humanity, which has sinned against the holy God. Understanding that is critical to understanding the beauty of the gospel. 
the justice that gets extracted and the message of the gospel on the very son of God. I think those things are, are clear. That's the framework that we need to have in an effort to understand what biblical justice begins to look like. We need to understand the holiness of God and the sovereignty of God. Yeah. And hey, I would just add to what Virgil just said. I think Virgil did a brilliant job sort of expounding on that. And I think it's important for your listeners to understand that the Bible never qualifies justice. Never. Oh, that's so nowhere good. in scripture, that's so nowhere in scripture will you find the concept of justice qualified. And what I mean by that, there is never an adjective that precedes that, that idea. There is, in scripture, there is either justice or there's injustice. Mm-hmm. You'll never find in scripture the idea that there are types of justice. So right. simply put, the concept of justice in scripture is always a matter of doing that which God has commanded us to do. So when individuals within a society obey God's precepts and principles, that's justice. Mm-hmm. When a society fails to do that, that's injustice. I mean, it's really that simple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's so good. And that that's so helpful to us, especially those of us that are young and may feel like, you know, a lot of the messaging around this is, this is the new way of thinking. This is the new and the more educated and the more right way to think and believe. Abandon the old ways. Abandon your former you know, just some of the the traditional ways of thinking. And that's always a target at Christianity, of course. And we hear that all over. And the funny thing is like, when you bring this back to Genesis three, this is not a new concept, you know, the idea of man challenging his state before God and saying, perhaps things are not as you have said, and perhaps there is another solution to the problem that I find. And so it's just not new. It's as old as Genesis 3, the Garden of Eden. And yet it is being marketed so well to us that it appears to be modern or, I mean, postmodern, really. And just like it, we are bigoted Bible bangers if we don't fall in line with it. So I think that's helpful and, and just takes a little bit of the pressure off of that lie that this is, you know, actually really not, not anything new. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. And I, like, I, like I alluded to, I think that social justice is what you find trying to be enacted by the serpent in the garden. And uh, I know that's, that may be tough on the ears of some, but that's the reality. So, social justice is kind of a classic Matthew 7, 1 and 2, where there's, there, what we're doing is we're making judgments about things hypocritically rather than seeing with a clear eye, taking the log out of our own eye first in order that we may see clearly to take the speck out of our brother's eye. When, when we begin to advocate for justice outside of what the Bible calls justice, we are the Pharisees who are now determining from a position of our own self-righteousness what proper justice is to look like, rather than understanding what God has done in his sovereignty to exact justice. We're saying, you know what, God, we know better. We, we've done it better. We can do it better. We care more than you do about these kinds of people. And so we're going to take it into our own hands. It's the very thing, Haley, that you just said. It's, it's a walk backwards, not forward. It's a walk backwards to Genesis 3 and what the serpent promised Eve. Yeah. Thank you so much for bringing that point out. I just want to point out that in Leviticus 19.15, we have the Biblical standard of justice as defined by God himself. Uh, That text reads, and I'm reading from the NASB, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. That's Leviticus 19.15. Now that text may come as a surprise to some of your listeners, because God views partiality towards the poor as equally sinful as as it would as he views showing partiality toward the powerful, mm-hmm. right? So I want to read that text again. Leviticus nineteen fifteen. you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. Now, society today has perverted God's standard of justice in that it has inverted that commandment in Leviticus nineteen fifteen. It's totally inverted it. It has made it a virtue to show partiality to the poor. And that's what social justice does. It inherently shows partiality to the, what they, the terms they would use to describe them, oppressed, marginalized, poor, those who have been mm-hmm. taken advantage of. But even partiality towards the poor is a sin in God's eyes. Uh, so in terms of 
the highest good, so to speak, that we could seek to pr- pursue as a people, I would point to Jesus himself as our example for that. So, for example, in Matthew 11, John the Baptist has been imprisoned by King Herod, right? He's been imprisoned by Herod simply for telling the truth about the adulterous relationship in which Herod was involved with his brother's wife. In other words, John the Baptist has been imprisoned unjustly. Mm-hmm. But while he's in prison, okay, while John the Baptist is in prison, he sends a couple of his disciples to ask Jesus this question, right? Mm-hmm. Are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? Jesus's response to John's inquiry is crucial to us in understanding this whole question about how social justice has been perverted. Mm-hmm. Being touted, social justice being touted is the highest good, right? Mm-hmm. as a society that we should seek or pursue, right? So so social justicians would argue that the gospel is all about social justice and that social justice is the highest good that we should seek. But Jesus replied to John the Baptist in Matthew 11, verses 4 through 6, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor Jesus said, have the gospel preached to them. Now, Jesus didn't reply back to John, well, the poor have clothing. All the poor have jobs. Now, right. all the poor have housing. My point here is this, is that Jesus realized that as important as it is for us to do what we can to meet the physical and tangible needs of those who are truly needy, what is more important is that they hear and believe the gospel. Mm-hmm. So, no, the highest good that we can do as a society is not the pursuit of social justice, is the advancing of the gospel, because Jesus himself said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Wow, yeah, that's so good. If Jesus came to bring about social justice, then why did he leave so soon? <laughs> you know, I mean, he left before everything was made just on earth, and he left us in a state well, of, you know, what I'm saying? Like, if, if that was really true... Well, it seems like he failed. (laughs) Right. And the question really isn't, why did he leave so soon? Well, why did he have to die? Right. It's why did he have to die? Why why was it necessary? I mean, there's so many questions that that peel off of this. First of all, why did Jesus have to come into the world? Yeah. If social, because listen, there were, there were religious people. There were spiritual, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. people long before Jesus's advent into the world who were advocating this very same thing, advocating this very same idea of loving one another, treating one another fairly, which is what social justice is all about. So the question is, why did Jesus have to come? Why did he leave so soon? And, and why did he have to leave by virtue of being nailed to a cross? Come on, man. So, so, so if social justice is, uh, and, and, and what Virgil was alluding to earlier, is that social justice preaches a new form of righteousness mm-hmm. that is not by faith, is not by it's not vicarious through what Christ accomplished on the cross, and that we the grace that we receive by virtue of coming to faith in Him is preaching a new works-based righteousness. And when mm-hmm. you preach a new works-based righteousness, you invariably preach a new soteriology. You new you preach a new way to be saved. Yeah. So th- this this whole argument of social justice has all kinds of theological ramifications in it. Not the least of which is what you pointed out, Haley. If Jesus came to make the world better, why did he have to die? That's the question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a question that I, I think can't be avoided, but yet it seems like. Somehow, in a lot of churches today that are kind of subscribing to this idea that, you know, we are God's hands and feet to bring about social justice in the world, it is being avoided. Why do you think that is? I mean, why why is it that so many are able to so easily look past that? Is it just spiritual blindness or what's the, you know, I, I guess it, I just find myself like kind of flabbergasted. You're, you're right. It yeah. is a new form of righteousness. It is a new gospel. It is a new truth. And yeah. It's like, how are we falling for this so easily? Yeah, I can start that because I'd love to also tee it up for for my my brother Daryl, and that is, I think that this start, it, it depends on the community, right? I, I know I'm I'm SBC, and so I, I know kind of our history, and uh, as a result of kind of the historic nature of how the SBC started with 
with slavery. I mean, that was a whole reason and rationale why things kind of got started. I, I think what you have in our current day is there, there's, a, there's a, a feeling about that with regard to guilt. And then go backwards, you can kind of reverse engineer the entire process where many Blacks have had a lot of their churches and most of, most of education, not only Blacks, but our culture, have been educated in, in some form of either critical race theory or Black liberation theology, the advent of, of intersectionality, the, the kind of Marxist, leftist, humanistic, secularized, educational system that for for decades we've been subjected to. And so that doesn't go unabated in our churches, especially when we're not talking about and and, and heading those issues off at the past past in, in the way that you're trying to do with your current listeners. You you're wanting to educate them, get them up to speed and let them know what they need to know so that they're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that they're hearing. And, and so how did it get in? It, it, it got in the same way everything else gets in. We are being informed by a secular culture, and then that information begins to seep its way or make its way uh, into the church. This was happening in Paul's day, right, with, not, with the Gnostics. This was happening with, you know, back in the day, the very first century church. You know, uh, Paul warned of it. We knew that it was happening uh, with regard to different sects of Judaism. And, and so this, this should not at all surprise us. We should understand it and be prepared and equipped to the point uh, that Daryl made at the top of the show, being equipped, being prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ, but doing so with regard to crystal clarity as, as to what is the gospel and what is not the gospel. Those things are incredibly important. Yeah. yeah, Virgil, if I could just add to what you just said, I think, man, you hit the nail on the head there. And I think, and I say this with all due respect, you know, Haley mentioned at the top of the the program that we want to speak the truth in love. And what I'm about to say is definitely given in the spirit of Ephesians 4.15. But I think there's a level of biblical illiteracy within the body uh, that, makes, uh, that, that makes addressing this issue so much more difficult. I'm working on a blog article right now where I kind of uh, uh, sort of expand on that and how the fact that there are many Christians maybe who, who know what the Bible says, but they don't know what it means by what it says. So we have to we have to graduate from being merely readers of the Word of God mm. to to being students of it, to where we study it. I mean, are you do you really study the Bible, or do you just read it? Uh, are, you, are you using the Bible to the full extent that God would have you to use it? Do we know what the Bible says about injustice? Because it speaks to that. Do we know what the Bible says about partiality? Because it speaks to that. There's a text that I like to go to in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 19 and 20. You shall not distort justice. Again, there's, a, there's another reference to justice that has no qualifier to it. Again, as I said earlier, Scripture doesn't qualify justice. There's either justice or injustice. You shall not distort justice. You shall not be partial, and you shall not take a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of righteousness. Justice mm -hmm. and only justice you shall pursue. So the question is, well, who's justice? Obviously, that's the starting point for us here in this conversation. So when you talk about justice and injustice, a fundamental question becomes, well, who defines? By what definition are mm -hmm. we to pursue justice? And by whose definition are we to fight against injustice? Now, the world would have you to embrace their definitions of those terms, you see. Right. But we have to fight as Christians. We have to be dogmatic and resist that urge to fight that or have that conversation on the same ground that the world wants us to have that conversation. We must insist in using biblical terms, biblical vernacular in order to engage in this conversation, because once we give up that ground, we've lost the battle. So mm -hmm. we have to, as Christians, we must urge one another and encourage one another to not just be readers of the Word of God, but to be students of it and, and understand what the Word of God says within the context of these issues like social justice that are coming at us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, would, I would add that, man, what you said is so profound in this regard because of, because of the end that social justicians want, right? The challenge with social justice is that it, it seeks justice from others without examining one's own heart. 
and, and, and the quote unquote justice that they seek is arbitrary. It's based upon the whims of each individual. I mean, you go ask five social justicians what it is they want to see happen. You'll get five different responses, right? None of them will have anything to do with the other. And, and for the most part, none of them will want to define what they mean by the term justice, because right. once they do, it's, it's over, right? Because you say, okay, is that yeah. what you want? Good. We'll give that to you and it's over. It will not ever be sufficient because they're operating yeah. On a platform that has nothing to do with biblical orthodoxy, biblical theology, biblical soteriology, right? Biblical harmardiology yeah. at all in yeah. any way, shape, or form. It's like I say all the time, brother. You know, you cannot satiate the woke. You cannot satisfy <laughs> social justices because they continually, uh, you know, shifting the goalposts. They're continually moving that crossbar higher and higher. And there's a certain, and I hate to say this, but I think this, is, I think Virgil would agree with me on this. There is a certain gracelessness within the social justice movement. Oh, absolutely. Even, with, even yeah. among Christian social justicians, there is no absolutely. grace whatsoever in the social justice movement today. You know, I think about a text like 1 Timothy 5.24, where Paul writes to Timothy, the sins of some men are quite evident going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Well, the reason I bring up that text is because for many evangelical social justicians, there is a certain anger, a certain level of unforgiveness mm -hmm. that is resident within their heart that they will not tolerate mm -hmm. God allowing a, a or delaying or postponing his judgment on a present day sinner until eternity. Yeah. They, they don't tolerate that. So they don't even give God the grace to be God. Yeah. In, in, in judging the sinner, the one who practices injustice. So they want that recompense right now. And if they mm -hmm. don't get it right now from God, they'll try to get it through other means. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. so good. You're bringing me back to my seat at the Sparrow Conference as uh, Ms. Akemeni Yuan spoke and told me I needed to divest of whiteness. And right. <laughs> not, not knowing what that meant at the time, I, I really truly thought she meant I need to stop being white. And I was like, uh, uh, you're gonna have to help me with that one because I don't know how to be any other color. But yeah. you know, and there were there were women walking out right and left, and I was glued to my seat because I was just like, what is what is happening? I've got to hear what this girl's saying. And you know, and I left that place angry, to be honest. And, and I left mm -hmm. angry at what was being touted as truth and hope and the gospel. Truly, I mean, I mean, she said the gospel so many times along with what she was saying, and. I just was like, mm -hmm. that isn't the gospel. Me divesting of whiteness, e even if there is injustice in, you know, or in, in a power system or structure, which is, you know, the thing they're obsessed with talking about, that is not hope for you. And, and it, but it is touted as what, what is hope. Wow. This conversation with Daryl and Virgil is fire. So I want to share with you guys the sponsor that's actually making it possible. And that is Prep Dish. Prep Dish is a meal planning service where you shop once, prep once, and enjoy healthy, stress-free meals all week. So here's how it works. Basically, they craft a week's worth of gluten-free and paleo meals that feature seasonal ingredients to really make the most of your budget, save you time, and interest your taste buds. And so along with the weekly menu, you also get a printable grocery list and instructions for prep day. It usually takes me about two hours to prep all of the ingredients, and that two hours gives me all the meals that I need for the entire week. My favorite thing lately has been the super fast menu, which just means the items take 30 minutes or less to make. And the two items I'm most excited about from this week are the banana pancakes and the California salad with egg, avocado, chickpea, and sunflower seeds and tomatoes. Uh, this actually reminds me a lot of my favorite salad at Corner Bakery. So those are a couple, just a couple of the dishes that are on this week's meal plan. The best part is that the owner, Allison, is actually offering Kindled listeners a two-week free trial of Prep Dish when you go to prepdish.com slash Kindled. Really, you have nothing to lose except trying something for two weeks that might just change your life. So head on over to prepdish.com slash Kindled and check out the two-week free trial and start saving time in the kitchen today. One of my listeners actually sent in a question because she was dealing with the same issue, I guess, in some of her 
circles and said, you know, my question is geared toward black and white relations. I'm I'm super confused at the whole woke stuff. Like I'm not allowed to speak toward racial issues because I'm a white Christian woman. I'm now targeted because of that, but I have to somehow remove myself from being as white as I am. I'm wondering how I can speak on the scripture or, or on, I'm wondering how I can speak on this topic at all, given that I am the race that I am. And I, I think that kind of goes back to what you guys were just saying is you have to insist on having a different conversation. You can't devolve into having the conversation they're having because you have no mm-hmm. hope of ever winning that conversation because it is geared right. for your right. failure. It is actually like predetermined that you can't win. And so right. yeah. when you try and argue those conversations around the terms they're using and saying, well, no, it's not white fragility. I'm just trying, you know, it doesn't matter. They always yeah. win. You, you have no yeah. word. And so as we are truly in engaging in some of these conversations that can be really challenging and really hard, what is your guys's like advice or admonition to us and how we go about doing that? You know, in a sense, you know, also not casting our pearls before swine because there's some degree that I, I don't think it's worth necessarily having these arguments on social media or that type of thing. But what, what would you say to the, the woman who's wondering how she can do that? First, let me go ahead and start, man, and then I'll, I'll hand it over sure, to you. Sure. But, but I, I think initially believers must, like I said earlier, believers must commit ourselves. We must commit ourselves to sticking with biblical terms and biblical vernacular and not embracing the terms and vernacular of the world. An example would be some terms that Virgil alluded to earlier, social justice, intersectionality, even the term racism. We, we must understand the distinction between how worldly society is using these terms in contrast to what the Bible says. So, for example, in Scripture, in Scripture, there is no such thing as race in terms of how that term is used socioculturally today. Okay, God created ethnicities, not races. So we see this in Acts 17, 26, which reads, and he, that is God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Now, this goes back to the point I made earlier, the comment I made earlier about biblical illiteracy within the body of Christ. And again, I didn't say that in a condescending way. I'm just saying that there needs to be a ramped up level of our biblical aptitude with respect to uh, being able to exegete and exposit certain texts. So for instance, the text I just read in Acts 17, 26, where it said God made from one man every nation of mankind. Well, the word nation in that verse in Acts 17, 26 is actually the Greek noun ethnos from where we get our English word ethnicity. So in English vernacular, you would say we hear the word nation and you would think in terms of what? Geographical boundaries, right? You would think well, the United States is a sovereign nation. Canada is a sovereign nation. But biblically, that word nation in, seven, in Acts seventeen twenty six is speaking of ethnicity. So that verse is saying that God created from one man, that is from one man, that man being Adam, every ethnicity, every people group that lives on the face of the earth. So race is only used, the word race is only used in scripture in anthropological terms. That is, in terms of who we are as human beings, not as people who are different shades of melanin. Okay, so society today speaks of the term race, and they'll call you, Haley, they'll, they'll consider your white skin color or your light-toned skin color in terms of your melanin mm-hmm. as white, and they would deem that to be a race, Right. you see? But the Bible doesn't use and define or describe race in those terms, you're, you, the thing is, you just have less melanin than I do. Right. You are a different ethnicity, but we're all different shades mm-hmm. of the same color. So, again, in terms of who we are as human beings, race is a non, it's just a nonsensical, non-secular term to use. The Bible teaches that God created ethnicities, not races. So that's an example of how we can engage in this conversation. But we have to know. First, what the Bible says. If we don't know how, what the Bible says and how to expose it and exegete that in terms of a proper her- hermeneutic around this issue of social justice, we'll never be able to engage 
other than this conversation. And, and that's half the battle right there, knowing knowing what the Bible says and knowing what it means. Yeah, it's really good. Virgil, do you have anything to add to that? Absolutely. I, I would just say that one of the things that, that I love about what we do on our show is prior to jumping into a particular topic, we spend quite a bit of time defining our terms and defining what we mean mm-hmm. by what we say. And we want to do so from a standpoint of you know, biblical accuracy, fidelity to the text of scripture. And so that's, that's why this is an issue in particular that Daryl kind of opened my eyes to when we kind of first started the show. I kind of had the wrong secular view with regard to the issue of race, had to go back in and do my own study. So when I read texts of scripture from Revelation 7, 9, that talks about how we behold a great multitude from every nation, every tribe, every peoples and languages, I realized nations, ethnos, that's the, that, that's not races, right? Though, mm-hmm, though some, mm-hmm. some poor you know, versions do walk it out that way. You've got to go back and look at the original Greek and, and, and understand what's meant there. But once I got a clear picture that it changes your outlook. And then what happens is when you begin to hear things like white fragility, you're like, what in the world are they talking? Those kinds of terms need to become foreign to you. Intersectionality, those need to be Mm -hmm. social justice. Those need to be foreign terms to us because that's not what we find from a biblical standpoint. Social justice, more than than a definition, it's an arbitrary solution at adjudicating perceived problems of inequity. I mean, and, and that, that could be race, that could be gender, that could be sexual orientation or whatever some woke person wakes up tomorrow and feels like they need to be offended by. I mean, when you're, when you're dealing with that as a basis, you're chasing the wind. It is an absolute effort to chase yeah. the wind, and, and that's foolishness. So we don't do that. We stick with, we stand upon the foundation of God's word. And we stand on the clarity of that truth as expressed in Scripture. So we don't get caught up in every wind of doctrine that tosses us to and fro. We're able to understand what God said, how he set things up and operate from that standpoint. You, your question really had more to do with, you know, what what do what what do I, you know, maybe as a, as a quote unquote white female do? I, I don't think there's anything different that you do than Daryl or I do, which is we stand on God's word. Mm-hmm. Right. We read it with crystal clarity and we express truth. I if 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 I could make the distinction with my quote unquote white brothers and sisters, it would be just share the truth and love. That's what scripture commands us to do. And we've got to stand on that, not checking something in our heart that wasn't there to begin with. I mean, if, if, if there's an issue in your heart, deal with it, repent of it and move forward. But if there's not, don't begin looking for things on the basis of foreign definitions that have nothing to do with the text of scripture. Right. right. Because, you know, Haley, in the end, when someone wants to denigrate you or speak condescendingly to you, because you are quote unquote white, what they're really doing is rejecting the creative wisdom and providential wisdom of God who created mm-hmm. you that way. Right. And see, the problem with social justice among the many, too many to talk about here on your program, is that it presumes it puts that person in the place of God and that they presume that you, because you are quote unquote white, are inherently guilty and and that I, right. because I'm not white, I'm inherently righteous. So you're right. by virtually you, you you're by virtue of your ethnicity sinful. I'm right. by virtue of my ethnicity righteous. And who alone has the right to determine either of those? It's God. So they're putting themselves in the place of God by basically judging you and condemning you for the way God create God Himself created you. Yeah. I mean how yeah. Ignorant is that? It, it is. It is like an inerrant disqualification, and exactly right. That's what's sought by it, and that's what's meant by it. And so, even the question itself from this listener is presuming that their definitions are correct. Is presuming, and I'm not faulting her for that, but it's almost. It's just we've become so used to living in fear of you know the name calling and fear of the the categorizations and what we will be made to to look like if we don't bow down and say okay i accept your definition rather than saying you know actually i deny that that question even really makes sense and here's why because the bible doesn't actually define mankind in terms of skin color and and that that's mm-hmm. a worldly definition and so by virtue of the fact that that's how you're asking me 
to engage in this conversation, I have to reject it because that isn't mm-hmm. how God has asked me to engage in this conversation. And that is not the definition that he has given me as someone that is an image bearer, you know, and someone that is made. Right, right. So, I mean, I, yeah, well, I guess we just really have to go back to what the word says that we are and not what the world. Absolutely. Are. A- absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Correct. I want to jump in here and hat tip towards something that I think is, a, is an important thing that Daryl has brought up in, in previous blog posts and on our show. One, I want to encourage folks, if they haven't listened to uh, the episode that we did on whiteness, Uh, I think that would be a great one for people to take a listen to and and kind of walk through, get a pen and a pad and sit down and walk through what we did with that particular episode. Secondly, what I would tell you uh, is, and and I love, Daryl wrote a blog and talks often about sin by proxy and Mm -hmm. how even though, even even though in today and, and right now, Haley, you, you, you've not committed, not that I'm aware of any sin against someone who's, who, who has more melanin than you on the, on the basis of the melanin in their skin. What's, what's happening is you are, you are being told that you are guilty yes. on the basis of something that someone else did long before you ever arrived on the scene. Right. And the reality is it may not even be that it may not even be someone in your ancestry. It may simply be someone with the melanin count similar to yours that they yep. did. Yeah. And, yep. and as a, re- as a result, there's sin that you now have to have to atone for because what happened on the cross of Christ was insufficient for you to pay for those sins yep. in the here and now. And yep. so th- that's, that's problematic. That's what's happening to you. That's what, and, and if we adopt the language of the culture they'll be able to easily assess that onto us. And then we'll be trying to figure out what we can do to fix those kinds of problems. Daryl does a much better job than I do about, about explaining and unpacking the sin by proxy issue. But that's, that's kind of the basis of what's happening yeah. and what you're feeling when, that, when that's going on. Right. And I mean, certainly, uh, you know, just for the listeners who may be, you know, this may be new for them. What I don't want to do is diminish or minimize, you know, other real injustices in the world. And the fact that, yes, there actually is injustice. And I'm not making the claim that me being told I have white fragility, um, as I was in that comment section, and I wish I still had it, but I deleted my comment because it just got so vitriolic. And I, I honestly was like, I can't spend any more time here responding to these hateful things. You know, so I, I don't want to make that, in a sense, like the, the greatest wrong that's been done uh, by any means. Because there are, is real injustice. There is actually racism. And I want, well, I guess, you know, you guys might disagree because that term, like you said, maybe is based in worldly definitions. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to retrain my brain here. No, you, it's part of that retraining is, is yeah. a part of a process. And, and I, I will say this for, you know, for, for Daryl. I, I know Daryl hadn't been called any names by anybody. I know Daryl hadn't. I, I <laughs> wish you would have left. I, I wish. I, <laughs> I wish you would have left the post up because I think it's important for us. Whenever, whenever Daryl or I get the, that kind of vitriol, I leave that because I think it is important for people to see yeah. what's out there. It, it's not. I don't. I don't take that personally. We had. I didn't wake up yesterday to deal with this issue. I've been talking about issues around this for years, for as long as I can remember being a quote unquote black man. I, I've been talking about these kinds of issues. Daryl is even in, in an amplified space doing the same kinds of things. I tossed the softball to him because I know he gets this often, and and I think he'd be able to offer some wisdom around how to navigate that in particular and 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 deal with it. Not to Take it personally, but just view it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right there, Verge. Yeah, I've, I've written on my blog uh, countless articles. I mean, I've lost count of how many times I've written on this issue of uh, racism and, and social justice. You know, and, and the thing I want to say about racism is this. People who say all the time, well, yeah, there's still racism, as yeah. if racism was a carton of milk with an expiration date on it and she should have been thrown out by now (laughs) look any kind of ism for better or for worse when you add that suffix ism to any noun it becomes dynamic it's no longer static okay so ethnicity is static it's immutable you cannot change it Mm -hmm. your ethnicity is what it is but when you put an ism 
after that. So for instance, I would say ethnicism. I would I prefer to use ethnicism than racism because as we already talked about, race, the root word of racism is not a biblical term in the sense of how society uses it today. So if you want to say ethnicism, ethnicism is dynamic. It's alive. It moves. It breathes. But we have to ask ask the question, what is the genesis of that ism? Where does that come from? We need to think about how is it, okay? How is it that I, Haley, let's use you for an example. How is it that I can see you as a quote-unquote white woman with my physical eyes? And just simply on the basis of what I observe with my physical eyes, I, I, I capture a, a thought about you originates in my mind. A simple thought originates in my mind about what I've, I've observed only with my eyes. And then that, that thought in my mind is translated into an attitude in my heart. How do you explain that? You cannot, the only explanation for that is Genesis 3. Yeah. And the sin nature that we inherited from our first parents. That's the only way you can explain that. And given that that's the only explanation, Christ is the only solution, is yes. the only answer. So even when we talk about racism, people say that they're, yeah, there's still racism. I mean, what is this? They, unless we treat racism as the sin that it is, what I call ethnic prejudice, ethnic sinful prejudice, we need to treat it in terms, again, captured in biblical vernacular, call it the sin that it is. It, it's not just some attitude that you can send someone to some sort of uh, politically correct cultural retraining session and have them come out not being racist anymore. Yeah. That stuff's <laughs> in the heart. Yeah. That stuff's mm-hmm. in your heart. And, and only the gospel, only the transformative, supernatural transformative power of the gospel can fix that. Yeah. Wow. Scripture, 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 scripture instructs us with regard to what what Daryl just just said, where Jesus tells us that we're not to judge by outward appearances. Right. John seven twenty four. Yeah, John seven twenty four. But rather judge with righteous judgment. Well, where does the righteous judgment come from? It only comes from the standard that is based upon God's word, his truth. It's it's not it's not on the basis of some arbitrary idea that's kind of out there in the culture somewhere. It's on the basis of a standard formulated in the Word of God. Yeah, yeah. I was actually this morning. That reminds me. I was listening to one of your guys' episodes. I don't know which one, where you were talking about how math people misinterpret Matthew seven one. Judge not, lest you be judged. Yeah, and Daryl, you right. pointed out there's actually 27 other ver- or 28 other verses, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I think you guys just forgot to read the rest of the chapter and and how and that goes all the way back to what you're saying. We know what the Bible says, but we don't always know what it means by what it says, and that right. is on the burden of us as people who are Christ followers to actually know and um, and know that for ourselves. Yeah, you just bring to my mind. I mean, what what does Philip ask? the Ethiopian eunuch that he came upon who was reading from Isaiah. He, he asked him, right? He said, do you understand what you're reading? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what you're reading? Scripture is meant not only to be read, it is meant to be understood. And that's what I was getting to earlier. We must become, as Christians, we must become better theologians. And I don't mean that in the sense that you've been to seminary, Okay. Yeah. What did it say in Acts? I think it's Acts chapter 4, verse 13. The crowd was amazed at the preaching that was being presented to them. They were amazed because they knew that the, the, the apostles doing the preaching were untrained and uneducated men. Amen. They yeah. knew that. Yeah. They knew that about them. But they, the, the text also says, but they realized that they had been with Jesus. Mm-hmm. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that illumines the wisdom of God's word to our hearts and minds. You can't get that at some seminary. Now, seminary may teach you systematic theology. They may teach you better homiletical practices. They may teach you better hermeneutical principles. But when it comes to unveiling the wisdom that is just so deep within the scriptures, only the Holy Spirit can do that. So in that context, every Christian is is to be a theologian and is to be a good one. And you become a good theologian by immersing yourself in the study of God's word and relying on the power of his Holy Spirit to reveal that wisdom to you. Yeah, it's so good. And that kind of brings us back to where we started with 
the discussion of, you know, are these issues, are these issues of concern to women? Are these issues of concern to the mom, the stay at home mom or the work from home mom or, you know, or whatever category you want to put yourself in. And the answer is just undeniably. Yes, it, it, it is. Absolutely. And there is, there is no excuse that disqualifies you from knowing and believing and speaking the truth. Yeah, I, I would I would argue that women, again, to the point we, we made earlier when we began, you know, the access that women have in relation to other women uh, in the communities that they're involved in, as it, re, as it re, re, uh, regards the raising of children, women need to know and understand these issues and be effective communicators, to be effective theologians, uh, to, so that they're training up their family in the right way. I'll, I'll tell you two, two things. One is I had a, I got a, a call from a guy uh, just today who on his job is being kind of retrained with regard to uh, intersectionality and LGBT rights and those kinds of things. And, and you know, he's going to go home and want to talk about these issues with his spouse. And uh, th- this is a this is a space and a place where both being informed by God's word can hold true to that standard as we, the people of God, operate in a culture that desires in every way, shape or form to retrain us. Right. To, to get us right. off of message, to to cause us not to walk with crystal clarity with regard to gospel proclamation. We've got to be able to do those things. Yeah. I don't know what you guys would say to this. I didn't, you know, prep you for a question in regards to this, but I was just thinking about how Eve was the one who was targeted by, (laughs) by the lie in the garden. Eve, you know, not Adam. And so through her, the lie, you know, spread to her husband. And while I know this, these issues, you know, and sin really, we're talking about sin affects everyone and nobody, you know, is unaffected. I do see a lot of times, you know, at least in in my personal anecdotal experience that it it is often, you know, the woman that is really engaged in cultural things a lot more than her husband or spending time on social media, spending time out in and of the world. I mean, a lot of husbands are in their offices and they're working every day and they don't have time for that kind of stuff as much. And the woman who is often training up her children on a day-to-day basis speaking truth and telling them what to believe and how to think and how to feel about the things that they see. And so I think it is just so, so vitally important that we know that we have an answer for the truth that we believe. Yeah. And as I said earlier, I think that's a great point, Haley, as I mentioned earlier, especially to the mothers out there, this entire worldview and that's social justice really is a worldview. It's not just a sort of siloed topic Mm -hmm. or issue in and of itself, that it only has to do with righting wrongs. There is much more to the social justice agenda than that. And this whole worldview is coming after your children. It is coming. And you need to be preparing for that onslaught because an onslaught is exactly how it will manifest itself in the lives of, in your homes, in your children's schools, even to the extent that you may homeschool your children, be on the alert for social justice ideologies appearing in your homeschooling curriculums and materials. Don't assume that simply because your resources are sold or offered by a Christian bookstore, a, a Christian manufacturer, you need to vet all of that material through what the scriptures say. Yes. As a final word, you know, that I think you, you're just touching on it probably, but what would be your admonition to uh, the listeners today into how they can respond to this? I, I guess this anomaly we see, um, which was really becoming less of an anomaly and more of just a, a reality that we live with. But what is their response in, in the face of these things that they may be encountering in conversations and in curriculum or in their churches, in their small groups? You know, how do we how do we actually engage the culture on these issues in a way that is God honoring and loving, but also not, you know, bowing down to, uh, you know, really just the lies that are being spread? Bird, why don't you take that first, man? I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll come behind yeah. you. Absolutely. I, I would I would just say I don't think you take it on any differently than you do any other sinful condition. 
I think I think you've got to be educated. Uh, I think you've got to understand what we've been what we've been talking about during the entire show, equipping yourself, make, understanding what what the Word of God says, and and being ready to declare that truth in love. I, I don't think this is unique to, to the point we made at the very top of the show. This is a Genesis three issue. This is not. This is this isn't a Johnny come lately. Uh, it's prepackaged differently, and it has an, it has emotive power. I think that's the that's the challenge for a lot of women is this this has an emotional power to it, right? Mm-hmm. You want to be seen as doing the right thing. You want to feel good about what it is, and 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 it so it it takes the the weight off of what Christ did on the cross and puts it on your back. So there's a work you can now do in an effort to make right wrongs that have, that are seen in the culture. So you get a sense of self-righteousness that's attached to it. So I, I think we've, we've got to avoid that. We've got to not, you know, not be susceptible to that, for, especially for women uh, who have a heart's desire to do the right thing. There are some people that I do believe mean well and have a heart in a right place and want to see things done rightly. They're just ignorant of mm-hmm. the fact that what they're doing is not biblical. There are others who have an agenda, and it's often difficult to determine which of the two you're dealing with when you're in, a say, a Sunday school class. Mm-hmm. or at the mall, or with the kids out on a play day. It's difficult to know. So I think it's important to ask the right questions. I think it's important not to be ready to get your your your, your shotgun you know, loaded for bear as soon as you hear somebody say something. But yeah. be, but begin to be begin to be wise and ask the right kinds of questions and be equipped with the answers to the point that that, that Daryl made at the very beginning, First Peter three fifteen and sixteen. Honor Christ the Lord is holy, and then always being prepared to give it to give a defense and answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have in Him. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to encourage your listeners, Haley, along the same lines of what Virgil was just talking about. I want to encourage our listeners today that every answer you need. So Virgil's talking about being being uh, being educated and being prepared with those answers. Well, every answer you need is in the scriptures, is in the Word of God. Every every answer, every response you will ever need is in the scriptures. You know, we talked about at the top of the uh, the program that we want to speak the truth in love, and I want to encourage your your listeners, especially the women who are listening today, because I think Virgil brought up a great point that God has so wired women that this particular issue can be a very emotional one uh, for them. Men kind of look at this issue as very linear, very analytical, very black and white. Well, women kind of see this issue, tend to see this issue in color, as I I like to say. Uh, Mm -hmm. But don't let the fact that you want to speak the truth in love, don't let that outweigh something that Jesus himself also said, right? Jesus said that I did not come to to bring peace on the earth. I came to bring a sword. Now, that sword being the word of God. So the truth is going to divide. The yeah. truth is going to divide. So when and don't be surprised that if your biblical the biblical stance that you take on this and any other societal issue, don't be surprised if and when, I should say, you're taking a biblical stance on this results in maybe you parting ways with someone. Yeah. It may be even a longtime friend. It may be a relative that you're going to part ways on this issue. And that sometimes is the cost that you have to pay for standing for the truth. And I would just leave your listeners with this word from scriptures, Colossians chapter two, verse eight. Listen to this against the background of what we've been talking about with regard to social justice, what its means and ends are. Okay. Colossians two, eight. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Colossians 2.8. Wow. There's no better way to end end that conversation than, uh, than that verse. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to share with these listeners. I know so many women are just going to be grateful for the wisdom you've poured into them today and just the word of encouragement to stand firm in the faith and be able to give an answer for what we believe in the one whom we have believed. So thank you so much. I want to encourage the listeners as well to check out your show, Just Thinking. If I haven't given enough reasons already, then I I simply can't because there's just so many great episodes there. The whiteness one, there 
you have a social justice one. I mean, probably every five episodes, I'd say some one of these issues comes up. So mm-hmm. they can't really go wrong just looking through those episodes. So thank you guys so much for coming on. Thanks for You're having very us. welcome, Haley. Thanks for having us on. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. I really hope and pray that that conversation was encouraging and most of all convicting for you to just continue to become a student of the word of God and not just to know what it says, but to, to seek to understand what it means. Um, I'm going to be doing the same in my own time in the word. And so I, I hope that we as a community can do that together. Next week, I'm going to be chatting with Rebecca Hargraves, and we're talking all about the lies that moms believe. So be sure to come back next week. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you get all of the episodes automatically in your podcast app, and I will see you guys next week. And of course, come find me on Instagram at HaleyWilliams.Kindled so I can connect with you um, outside of just you listening to these episodes every week. Okay, have an amazing week, and I will see you back here next Monday.